Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Alexis the Midwife. And I'm Becky the Doula. Welcome to Notes from the Mother Box, where we will be having real and frank conversations about the highs and lows of the parenting journey. And if you enjoy this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Acast, iTunes and Spotify and follow us over on Instagram. So pop the kettle on, pour yourself a cuppa, get comfy and enjoy this week's episode of Notes from the Mother Box. Today, we are so excited to have the absolutely gorgeous Nadia Essex join us for a chat. Nadia is a dating guru, host of the fabulous Clueless Mum podcast, baby blogger, columnist and mother to her gorgeous baby Ezekiel. Nadia, thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming, darling. Well, just to start with, obviously, as new podcasters, we wanted to say that we have been loving The Clueless Mum, really, oh. really enjoying it. And actually, what is really our jam is your honesty and the oh, fact that you talk you. about the things <laughs> that go well, you talk about the challenges, you, you like, you talk about the magic and you talk about the lower points. And I think that's really important when you're sort of sharing. And, and as you say, when you put, um, you know, with your podcast episodes, building a community where people sort of feel like they can talk about how they're honestly feeling. What made you decide to create the Clueless Mum in the first place? Oh, gosh, I think I think it was probably out of boredom. <laughs> if I'm honest I was pregnant and I was I was kind of twiddling my thumbs I was like well I don't know what to do with myself but I, like I'm going through all, like I had a very yeah. tough pregnancy mm-hmm. it was very difficult and I was like every time I would go on the internet or go on Instagram mm. and I'd be searching for people that felt like me I just couldn't find anybody mm. really and and there was no one really like everyone was there was kind of the two camps of either glowing, wonderful, never felt better pregnancies mm. or the pregnancies that were, you know, so horrific. And you just saw mums with their head down a toilet pan, you know, looking like rubbish. And I was like, well, like I, I'm not either of those. I don't, I, I fit into mm. both of those, but on different days. Mm, and I'm not yeah. really either of those. I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. And I yeah. just found it and I thought, well, if I'm, feeling this way and going through this then surely there must be other people that mm. feel the same and I thought that podcasting was something that it's just an easy way to get the narrative out there yeah that actually yeah um I don't know there's a there's a lightness to podcasting and to listening to podcasts you know mm. you put something on on Instagram or social media and there's always going to be 
lots of like negativity and backlash but with podcasting people mm. come because they want to listen and so yeah. you it's just a nicer feel to the community so as soon as I started I was like yeah this is this is for me amazing <laughs> I totally get that that makes sense and also because of a lot of the things that you discuss and we'll talk more about that with you today but I think it just really validates other people's feelings as well and they can take home what they want they can be like oh I didn't experience that or they might be like yes that's exactly how I felt so actually it either kind of like you know gives them more information and knowledge or like opens up some more ideas and like you say shares that narrative hopefully I mean when I was pregnant, it was very much just like me every week. Um, producer Martin would come to my house. Oh, the baby's crying. <laughs> just give me oh, bless him. You're okay, baby. You're okay. Producer Martin would come to my house and he would say, What should we talk about this week? It was that organic in terms of we didn't pre plan yes. it. It was just me chatting into a microphone, mm. which I think helped with the organic feel of it. Mm. Um, so we know from listening to your podcast that you didn't find out you were pregnant, did you, until you were 10, was it 10 weeks? So what was that like, love? Because the first trimester is pretty tricky, isn't it? Yeah, it was nearly, it was ne- It was actually nearly, yeah, just before 10 weeks. And I don't know. I mean, I would consider myself, I was 37 when I got pregnant and I would consider myself a woman of uh-huh. the world. Been around the block a few times, kind of, you know, with it. But I had absolutely no clue I was pregnant because I I just, nobody told me about the symptoms of pregnancy. Yeah. I didn't know that like sore boobs, like ridiculously sore boobs were a symptom of pregnancy. I just didn't know. I didn't know that... Well, no one does teach you, do they? Actually, you only you only know those symptoms when you're kind of trying mm. and you start looking them up. I think that's when I first found out about yeah, them. Yeah, and when do we get taught that stuff? Really, it, which is no. criminal that girls do not know and are not taught in school the signs of being pregnant. Because I didn't have morning sickness; I had all day sickness, and actually, mm. the mornings I felt best. So I'd wake up in the morning and I'd feel good and I'd have a cup of coffee and I'd feel good and I'd slowly deteriorate throughout the day. Mm. And by supper time, I was like, no, can't cope. The fatigue as well. Mm. Again, I didn't know that that was a symptom. I just, I don't know. I just kind of, I honestly, and it um, sounds overdramatic and I say it all the time, but this is where my head was at. So about six months before I got pregnant, I went vegetarian. And so I called my doctor and I said to my doctor, I need an appointment because something's wrong. Best case scenario, I'm anemic. Uh, worst case scenario, I've got cancer. Yeah, I remember listening to your podcast and you said that and I thought it was really interesting. How frightening for you though as well to feel that way. Yeah. I just couldn't, and I couldn't get it together. I just couldn't mm. shift it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was just the furthest thing from my mind that I could be pregnant because, you know, when we conceive Zeke, you know, we use protection. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And you just don't think that no. anything would, it mm. just doesn't enter your mind that that, is a possibility that could happen. So it was so far off my radar. And it was only one of my girlfriends who is a mum. Literally, we went for lunch the afternoon of my doctor's appointment and she was like, look at your tits, you are pregnant. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, no, she's like, they're huge. Yes, they, are they, do, they do get big. You're, you're, <laughs> yeah, your boobs are big. You're exhausted. You've gone off the booze, which I'm a drinker. So for me it was 
huge. Yeah. Um, and she was like, yeah, go and get a pregnancy test. And I was like, right, I'm going to prove you wrong. And I, yeah, peed on the stick. And before I pulled my knickers up, it, the line just came straight up. So I was like, oh, <laughs> Okay then. There it is. There it is. I haven't got cancer. Woo! Yeah, so I was going to say in a way, maybe it maybe it made absorbing pregnancy a bit easier mm. because you were like, oh, phew. <laughs> That's what it is. Going back to the um, the morning sickness thing, I was Nadia. I know exactly oh. what you mean because I remember, and I've been by the way a midwife for donkeys years before this happened. So this is my second baby. So I'd been in midwifery for eight or nine years by the time she was born and I remember like you my mornings I was actually quite bouncy and full of energy now I I had sort of the standard sort of morning sickness rather than um, obviously some people who have hyperemesis really severe so I could get on with my life I just felt lousy by the time the afternoon hit and I remember I used to do all of my community visits as a midwife in the morning so I could be back at my desk at three to four o'clock in the afternoon where I knew it got bad and that would be when I would I remember I'd literally have my head on my hands and I couldn't not tell my colleagues because I'm I'm in an office full of midwives right with my head in my hands at three o'clock in the afternoon (laughs) white as a sheet (laughs) and it's just so misleading isn't it how rough you can feel throughout the day and in the evenings as well like death I felt like absolute death and I've got a phobia against being sick so for me I was like chomping oh, my teeth together being yeah. like I'm not gonna be sick I'm not gonna be sick it was her and I was so poorly I ended up going to the doctor and getting anti-sickness tablets mm, mm. because my mental health was affected so badly I didn't want to wake up and I don't mean that in a wanting to end my life way it just when I woke up yeah. in the morning I would have to go through the whole cycle mm. of feeling nauseous feeling sick mm-hmm. waves of it coming mm. potentially being sick and just going through the whole cycle again. And I just didn't want, I was like, I can't, I can't, there's no, it's never ending. Waves is a great way to describe it because I don't mm. know if you found this, but I'd get a bit prickly and hot mm-hmm. and it would almost wash over me, this mm. nausea feeling that I'd be like, like I said, head in my hands, not knowing what to do with myself. Mm. And then mm. sort of, then that wave would dissipate and mm. I'd be like, okay, I feel all right for 10, 15 minutes. And then, oh no, here it comes again. Yeah. yeah. And so you can't really concentrate on yeah. anything else because especially for me the minute I would get those tingles Mm. I'd know it was coming so Mm. I'd start getting like palpitations Mm. and and it would just be a a really vicious cycle yeah for you that's definitely because if you've got an anxiety like Mm -hmm. if you've got a phobia then obviously anxiety one of the side effects of anxiety is nausea isn't it so you've got like double nausea then and I couldn't eat and so I felt sick because I was hungry. Yeah. But the thought of food mm. made me worse. Yeah. Um, and so I actually lost weight at the beginning from my mm. first, when I first went to the doctor, when I first found out I was pregnant and then I went to see the midwife. I think they rushed it through. So I went to see the midwife a week later f- to sort out mm. the scan and I'd lost a, a kilo in a week because oh, I just, you, yeah. I couldn't, oh, I couldn't force I couldn't even think about food. It was, oh, yeah. no. So you have the sickness and can we just talk for a moment about that bloody fatigue that comes in as well? <sighs> Again, and we wrote about this, didn't we, in the book, Becky, in the little book of um, self-care for mums-to-be, because I think there's this concept that 
we know what tiredness is before hmm. we get pregnant and that we're going to be a bit tired and that's understandable. But it's on a different level, isn't it? It's like, hmm. I remember saying, the only way I could describe it to like my friends was, I'm so fatigued in my body that my bones actually hurt. Yeah. Like a physical pain discomfort from tiredness. Yeah. I mean, I would spend three solid days in bed hmm. because I literally could not get out of bed I couldn't I couldn't really function it was like the worst flu mixed with a hangover Mm. but without like the sore throat you know without the sort of symptoms but just like you say everything was heavy my bones felt heavy I mean I slept just luckily I was able to how women continue working no I don't know honestly how I did it and because because I was working like I said at the time I was a community midwife and it was just it was just absolutely hideous and I think also it's a really tricky thing in our culture whereby and you know everybody does things differently and whatever's right for you is right for you and a lot of people obviously choose not to tell anyone until they've had the 12 week scan mm. and perhaps they found out they were pregnant at bloody 3 weeks you know like almost yeah. like you know you're 3 weeks pregnant or whatever like really early on mm. and they have to deal with all of those sensations and feelings whilst showing face and not wanting to appear mm. like they might be pregnant how do you do it it's so difficult and you're obviously just feeling like like you say like you just want to crawl under your duvet and just hibernate for three months and I wonder where the whole I don't know it's an interesting question because I don't buy the whole narrative that we hide pregnancy from the first scan because because just in case because Mm. surely the the statistics of something happening are so low Mm. that as a culture we might shouldn't we be evolved past this now like asking parents and more importantly, women to hide their symptoms and brush it under the carpet and carry on, like you said, carry on like normal. Like society puts a pressure on women to, to expectation of like, oh, we're not telling anyone so you can't act pregnant. The minute you get pregnant, people should be on their hands and knees mm. putting flowers everywhere you go, <laughs> being yes. like, you're the best thing that, you know, like this, this godlike aura mm. around you. Mm. Because you're about to, your body, you are about to go through yeah. the biggest shift in your life that should be supported from the second that you know, not not sort of hidden. That's why your podcast is so good, because I had clients actually say to me, un, you know, unrelated to this, that they'd listen mm. to your podcast and how nice it was, because... Until everyone starts talking about the fact that it is quite difficult and we don't have Mm. this stoic showing up response to pregnancy and the postnatal period, we don't let ourselves relax or gift ourselves rest or, you know, everyone feels like they've got to like drag themselves out of bed and carry on. And like you say, actually, if people did talk about it, then then we could like lean in and hold Mm. women a little bit more, couldn't we? And we could support our girlfriends and say, come on, sit down, let me make you a cup of tea. And, you know, we really have got to it's bonkers that we still sort of partake in a tradition that is so damaging to women. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And that, you know, like the minute you find out you sh- you're pregnant, you should, you if you choose to keep it within your family, mm. but it, you shouldn't feel like you're going to jinx it if you yeah. tell people before the 12th. Like the ha- that's madness. 
I am um, whenever I've had three babies and whenever I was pregnant and found out I was pregnant I actually did tell we talk about this again like my VIPs because I was like listen if the thought process for not telling people is just in case something happens and I don't want to jinx it or you know I, I don't know again but if something bad does happen or if you do you know have a have a miscarriage surely you want to have people there to support you and wrap their arms around you anyway which is a little bit more easy to do if they knew in the first place what perhaps was going on in in your life at that time 100 percent. because if something does happen also as well you have to deal with telling people something's happened and then the guilt that maybe they feel bad because Mm. you didn't trust them enough Mm. to tell them in the fact like there's a lot more emotion that comes with it and I Mm. think if we can just be encouraged to be honest Mm. we're not going to jinx it Mm. you know it's not that's not going to happen if things don't turn out right then you know unfortunately that can happen but whether you choose to tell or not that will not make a difference so let's let's like take away the stigma of like potentially jinxing it and let women just rest absolutely <laughs> I totally agree. Absolutely. and also and, and this is another thing that becky and i sort of harp on about is that i think there's also an element and perhaps i've been guilty of this myself whereby there's going to be a huge identity shift because suddenly you find out you're going to be a mum. i think especially like the first time round, and again you don't want to kind of like you're like oh I'm, I'm pregnant i'm not ill and you kind of think to yourself i just want to keep going and you know like live up to the expectations and crack on with the work i'm doing and again, you sort of do yourself a disservice. And I think part of it is because of this fact that you are going through a bit of an identity change and you're worried that if you kind of just admit to yourself that you need to take to your bed early, rest as much as possible, then you're kind of halfway there to kissing goodbye to the life you've known all these years, maybe. Totally. I remember, so Zeke was born in March and in December, I remember I wasn't allowed to go to the National History Museum ice rink. Um, mm. And they wouldn't let me go ice skating. And I was highly offended. <laughs> I was like, what? I can't go ice skating? And they were like, no, you are heavily pregnant. And I was like, but I feel fine. I can, I, but it's not date. Like, it's fine. They're like, no. And I, it was that moment of like, I'm not ill. I'm not disabled. I'm perfectly capable. Yeah, I'm yeah, fine. Yeah. I, I class myself as a good ice skater. And everyone was like, you nutter, like, don't be so ridiculous. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, probably not the best idea, actually, to be fair. So it is that struggle of like losing yourself, but then giving yourself permission to evolve. Totally. That's a great way of putting it. And I think our society needs to help us with that because Mm. we're not a society that celebrates pregnancy or the postnatal period. And in other cultures where Lex and I have been lucky enough to train, I mean, you're like a goddess. You're we, we on a are. bloody pedestal. We are. But there you're treated like it. Yeah. And it's, I, I suppose, you know, and I, I don't want to sort of be one of those type of women, but it's like, we, we, I just think we live in such a misogynistic society that's, that's yep. just, you know, I think it just stems to if we had more women mm. in powerful roles, mm. top roles, more women in parliament, more women actually out there, at the top level filtering stuff Mm. down then I think life would be easier for us but I think you know it's the sort of same I speak to so many women it's like if men had to give birth there's no way that it would 
still be painful because they mm. would put all their funding into making it pain-free mm. if men had to give birth their maternity would start from the day they found out you know there's lots of things that would be different if men had to give birth and it's just a real shame that yeah. that we're kind of like almost it's it's like yeah put up and shut up the british yeah. certainly the british way and like you said in other cultures you know we're about to give birth yeah. to a new life a new soul you know, we are goddesses. This should yeah. be celebrated to the high, highest, to the moon, to, you know, like shout it from the rooftops. This is wonderful. <laughs> and I tell you what, Nadia, I think you've you've hit the nail on the head on on this, you know, issue because again, this had a lot of airtime recently with Becky and I, I feel like if there were more women at the table regarding the whole maternity services during lockdown and COVID and women being able to have support at scans at appointments absolutely you know seeing the midwives more regularly having partners be there birthing partners whoever they choose to take in with them whether it's a partner a doula Mm -hmm. somebody who's able to offer support at the point of birthing you know so many women have been contacting us and telling us that they've been going in and we'll move on to this with you in a second because i know obviously you had zekel in the actual throes of of um lockdown just before just just before before was it so just you just had him beforehand and i just feel like the last five months there's got to be some significant changes for what women need at the moment and i don't want to like women blame but you know when it's like i'm not being funny boris johnson just had a child Mm. and surely like and i I, this you know again it's not trying to blame women but but where's carrie being like hun do you know what i mean like actually this would have been a lot more difficult without you and Mm. uh, where was she like he was going through the paternity period Mm. while we would like where was their empathy considering Mm. they were going through it as parents themselves like I don't understand how yeah I mean I don't know if she had these conversations with him but if it was me I just don't think I could sit there and not be like you're the prime minister you can make a change and Mm. Please, can you address, at least address it, make it a a topic of conversation, something that you're going to even talk about, not just ignore the whole thing and let thousands and thousands and thousands of women give birth in circumstances that they would choose not to and go through scans alone and all sorts of stuff. Like they're going through, I just don't understand. There needs to be some serious changes. I mean, we're confused. It's so confusing at the moment. It's so confusing and inconsistent between trusts that it's like, what is going on, really? It's just another case of women's health being at the bottom of the list, Mm. isn't it? You know, oh yeah, open pubs, can't really be asked to think about women's health right now. We'll deal with that later. Let's just leave it as is. You know, it's sort of, it's just not okay. Well, it was the same. It was, I mean, it was so obvious with, you know, the um, opening of the barbershops and not being able to have your eyebrows threaded. You know, it was women's services that didn't even bother. You know, the first thing that we're after lockdown that was able to do was you're allowed to have your cleaner come in. You know, it's like, well, (laughs) whoopee-doo if after lockdown you can still afford your cleaner. Good for you. That's great. But, you know, the country's on its knees, hun. (laughs) Yeah. And love, you can go go and play golf with all of your mates, but you can't join your partner at their scan that they'd really love to have you there. Yeah. It's just... It's a real shame because I I think that, you know, we... There was a real opportunity to make some fundamental lifelong changes 
especially to women's services. And if anything, I feel like we've been pushed further down yeah, and it's going to be I even agree. harder for us to claw back because, you know, when is somebody going to, to stand up for women? When is someone going to come yeah. in and really put their foot down and stand up for women, women's health, women's services? Because mm. no one seems to be doing it yeah. at the moment, yeah. as far as I'm aware, because I'm, I'm not hearing anyone shouting from the rooftops that's in a position of power. You know, mm. where's, you know, people... People talk about Piers Morgan, like where's Susanna Reid? Like where is she? You know, he shouts from the rooftop every single morning about his agenda. Yeah. Like let's let's get the women shouting. What I will say is that the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and the Royal College of Midwives are like, we're waiting. And they put out information in August saying this needs to be seriously reviewed. This is so detrimental for the women who are coming into our care. And they're still waiting yeah, and, and we're now I mean. in October. But they're waiting. Who's <laughs> doing? Yeah, absolutely. You yeah. know, everyone's sitting Come waiting. On. Who's doing? Who's yeah. shouting? Who's yeah. barging down? Like, you know, I, I, I just, I'd love to have the influence to. You know, where's our, where's our version of Marcus Rashford? Absolutely. What he did for the free school dinners. Mm. Yeah. Where's our where's our spokesperson that can come forward? And you're forward right, and- it's the people at the top, isn't it? Because what happens is we spent our lockdown voluntarily fielding calls and taking calls from anxious women and helping women prepare to birth alone sometimes. And But that's just, you know, there's a few of us who are trying our best to, to hold a few women, but it's a bigger yeah. thing than that, you know. We need someone bigger. With- Could we all um, gently put our masks on and socially distance and go and make a big circle around Parliament and all squat down <laughs> on the floor and pretend that we're birthing i'd do that yeah i'd do that sure. in a heartbeat should we, just should we do it many, girls let's do it how many people do you think how like how many people would it take to circle or, or make a, a ring around in front of parliament do you think oh it'd be amazing and all you know just groan like a baby's coming out That'd yeah. be amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah. I'll set up the WhatsApp group uh, later Please. today, darling. Yeah. And can we have wine? wine <laughs> let's, do, let's do the <laughs> protest first and then wine after. Because I feel like if Perfect. we're pretending to give birth while downing a Pinot Grigio, <laughs> we may get in trouble. <laughs> Definitely. Listen, listen, girls, talking about birth, I want to hear about Nadia's birth. Now, I know from listening again to the podcast, maybe not everybody who's listening to this knows you had quite a different idea didn't we all your references and your plan was as to how you were going to have this baby yeah didn't we all absolutely and then obviously end up being quite different but you do speak about it in quite a positive way can you talk us through it well birthing plan you know I'm like I think I'm a secret hippie um I wanted like water birth and essential oils (laughs) and you know spa music and mood lighting and you know in you know just just like working through it and the water washing over me and what's it called the old uh, hypnotherapy <laughs> hypnobirthing oh yeah the whole lot I just imagine this like earth mother listening to her body and then I went in for they I I had he's got a really big head and they put him on the big baby list because they thought he was going to mm-hmm. be a big baby and so I had an induction booked for 40 weeks exactly mm-hmm. which was the the monday should we say yeah. and on the thursday i went in for a sweep and at the same time i had sciatica oh, so i now couldn't walk ouch. um he was like sitting on a nerve in my back mm. and so i literally was huddled over and had to be in a 
led through in a wheelchair because I couldn't actually walk. And in Chelsea and Westminster, they give you like induction club. So you go and you sit for 45 minutes and they talk you through how to do an induction or how they're going to do the induction, which brilliant by the way fantastic mm. um it sounds great actually oh it was so i mean i did nct and mm. they they just didn't i mean that was a complete waste of time in it in itself but this was just it was thursday my induction was monday potentially and i was like and i was learning what was going to happen almost step by step so for me who i really like information mm. i was like okay i, I can mentally prepare for this because i know what's going to happen so she did the sweep she was like, look, you're one centimetre dilated, but you're not, you're not soft. Is that the right phrase for the cervix? Yes. Yeah. So she was like, if I had to call it, I would say that between now and Monday, you are not going to go into labour naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not, you're yeah. not ready. So you're going to be coming back on Monday for your induction. If you want, I can see if we can admit you now and we can just get the process started. And I was like, uh okay (laughs) why not like (laughs) that'll do especially if you're in pain i guess right if if you've got that sciatica because that is debilitating Mm. yeah i couldn't walk i literally couldn't and so i only that's the point Mm. i would have been in bed for the next few days waiting and hoping that labor would come on because i actually couldn't walk so it was Mm. yeah so i was like why not okay let's go for it and the good thing is is because i learned about induction i genuinely believed even after going through nct that you Mm. went in for induction in the morning and you have the baby in the afternoon Mm. genuinely that's what i believed so thank god it's it's lengthy isn't it and this is what really surprises Mm -hmm. women it's like i think that's so many women and whenever i'm teaching i'm really frank about this listen if you're going for an induction you might you might have a baby six hours afterwards much more unlikely but you are possibly going to be in there for sort of, you know, it's going to be a couple of days, yeah. a couple of two, three days sometimes even yeah. to get everything to any, especially with a first baby, right? Oh, so what I mean, happened then, Nadia, after so, that? Yeah, checked in and then, yeah, I I did the whole shebang. So we did the the pessary mm-hmm. and then you wait, is it six, 12 yep. hours? Yeah. And then that didn't work. Did the nether pessary? Yeah. Yep. That didn't work. Did the gel? Yeah. That didn't work. So three days later, um, they were going to break my waters Mm -hmm. and she pulled out the knitting needle, what they use to break your waters with. And I was like, (laughs) hell no, 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 no. Thank you, but no. It does look quite scary, doesn't it? Looks it looks so scary. It's not scary because it yeah. actually, apparently it's like they no. just nick it and it's done and it's easy. Yeah, it's like popping a balloon. Yeah. Yeah, which, yeah, yeah. no. And so, <laughs> and so I was on the hospital bed and I just took, I just closed my eyes and I was on my tummy because I was in pain. I was having like mild mm. contractions-ish, but nothing really major, mm. but I was in pain. So I was on my tummy and I just took a minute and for about 10 minutes, I just spoke to Zeke in my tummy and I was like, you know what? It's oh. okay. You can come. I'm okay. We can do this. We're going to work together. You know, I don't, you know, it, it, it's now's the time, mm. hun. Mm. Everything's going to be fine. And literally an hour later, my water broke naturally. Wow. Thank, thank God. Because I was yeah. like, phew. <laughs> No Amni hook coming near you. <laughs> I was like, my baby boy making me proud already. 
<laughs> oh, I love that. He's like, all right, mum, yeah, all right. Literally, I was like, it's, it's okay, hon. We, we, you can come, it's good. So then we went into the room, the um, birthing room, whatever it is. The, yeah. They move you off the ward and put you in your own room. So I was like, oh, getting an upgrade. Yeah. Fabulous. And then they put me on the drip because I still wasn't properly contracting. So they put me on the drip to force me into contraction. Mm-hmm. And basically, 14 hours later, I had had an epidural mm-hmm. because yeah. my, do you know what the, not for any other reason, but my sciatica, mm. I actually, weird as it sounds, enjoyed my vaginal contractions mm. because they took the pain away from my back oh yeah of course wow, because it's the same nerve that runs down yeah that shows how much pain you must have been in though doesn't it do you know exactly. what i mean you're like yeah it was horrific and so when my vaginal contractions came i was like oh a bit of respite bit of respite and it was amazing but then when that finished and i had a tens machine as well and that was going like the clappers but when that stopped, the, the, the pain, the sciatica was so painful. I was like, I just can't, I can't, I can't do it. So they did an epidural, which was fabulous. And then 14 hours later, she was like, look, we, you know, we can't get the drip right. So they mm. would do the drip. They would put, it would be, too, the contractions would be too harsh. Yeah. So they'd turn it down mm-hmm. and then they would almost stop. Mm-hmm. So they'd turn it up a bit and then they'd be too harsh again. So they, they literally couldn't regulate yeah. my contractions she was like so we've got options yeah. the surgeon came in she's like we've got options I'm gonna obviously do the exam and see how far dilated you are and what we can do is he's getting a bit distressed so we might you know put a little needle and nick his head and get the blood to see the oxygen or something like that and I was like well that doesn't sound <laughs> if I didn't oh, want my no. waters broken hun I didn't I'm <laughs> yeah. not sure about nicking his head hun um, <laughs> okay <laughs> Um, and she was like, but let's, let's one step at a time. Let me do the exam. Let's see how far dilated you are. So she did the exam. She was like, and I was like, come on then, tell me like, where are we at? Drum roll. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She was like, okay, so you've dilated half a centimetre. Oh, And I was like, what? She was like, yeah. um, 14 hours. 14 hours. And I dilated half a centimetre. So I literally was a centimetre and a half dilated yeah. after three and a half days. Oh, Nadia, <laughs> stop it. So she was like, so we, I burst out laughing. I was Did like, you? that's hilarious. <laughs> like, <laughs> really? Oh, no. She was like, yep. <laughs> so she was like, look, the baby's getting distressed. You've been through the ringer. Let's just get him out. You know, he, he's mm, not, yeah, absolutely. He's not, you've got another nine centimetres to go. It's not going to happen let's just get your baby in your arms and I was like mm, yeah, yeah let's so we went down to have the c-section and I actually walked from my room to the theater with my epidural in yeah. hand and the the receptionist Amazing. was like what the hell is going on the surgeon came running behind me with a chair being like you shouldn't be walking you've got an epidural and I was like I'm fine <laughs> I can do this and it was like it was a slow walk, obviously, mm. but I really felt like I needed to do that passage. It was, I mean, it was like 10 metres. It wasn't far, yeah. but I needed to do that. And luckily I had yeah. such a good anaesthetist that I was able to walk yeah. with my epidural. That's, it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and so went in, had the C-section, baby came, surgeon burst out into tears. 
um Aww. yeah which i thought was like just really sweet and then yeah. and then so she she started crying and then the the sous chef whatever the other <laughs> person is had to leave because he was like i'm gonna faint he's diabetic mm. oh, God. <laughs> he was like my sugar level's gone really i'm gonna faint so i'm sitting there off the rocker being like what's going on <laughs> and then they put the baby on my chest and like my up the drugs they were a little strong for mm. the c-section so i couldn't move my hands and my arms mm-hmm. so i was like he's gonna fall off he's gonna fall oh, off and they're like we've got him he's okay and i was just trying to push my shoulders oh. to hold him in place and then they took him away and sort of cleaned him up i was like don't wipe off the what's it called the white stuff the, ver- the vernix don't wipe off the vernix don't wipe off the vernix <laughs> and they were like so he hasn't got any <laughs> it's, a C- it's a c-section huh? and i was like oh <laughs> um and then that was it it's so funny though isn't it the things that stick with us that we they, we desperately you know i had this whole thing about letting the cord stop pulsing and mm-hmm. barney was like jesus stop it i must have said it like 20 times he's like they've got it they've got it back <laughs> yeah and then that was so obsessed don't we so obsessed um and then he was and then that was it and it was just fabulous the whole thing from sort of start to finish was just wonderful um but I think I honestly think it was wonderful because Mm. two things one I was explained about the induction so I was aware that it could take days yeah the woman opposite me in the ward Mm. didn't turn up to induction club so day three, Uh-oh. she is screaming at the head midwife at mid- midnight. And I mean screaming in her face. <sighs> We've been here for three days. I can't cope with this. I'm going to leave mm. the hospital. All of this. Get. I want a C-section. I want this baby out. Going mental. Because for three days, she was like, I don't know. She just wanted to rush it. She mm. just was like rushing it, rushing it, rushing it. Yeah. And I was like, hun, chill. Like this is, this process in the hospital yeah. is part of the journey. Like it's not, like if you rush to, like the baby's coming, mm. you know, it's happening. <laughs> You're here, it's coming. So if you try and enjoy these days, hours, yeah. however long it is and and really enjoy them as part of the bigger picture, you will enjoy your birth a lot more. She's like, no, no, I, I can't, no, no. I, I want, uh, the doctor told me that the baby would be here by now. And then the other midwife said that and she was just going mad. And mm. I was like, look, I, you know, if you want to ruin your own birth. So I have no doubt we had almost exactly the same birth stories because she ended up, induction didn't work for her. Mm-hmm. She ended up having an emergency C-section as well. Mm. And we pretty much gave birth, I think the day same day but the, the experience was the same she I know will believe being like I had a horrific birth mm-hmm. I yeah. had a horrific birth story I hated it mm-hmm. and I had almost identical and I loved it and it was all mindset I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com/people today 
That reminds me, Nadia, of when Mark Harris speaks about how two births can look pretty much exactly the same from the outside, but can be completely experienced differently by the woman. So Mark Harris, who's a male midwife, very well known, um, has a company called Birthing for Blokes. And I remember Becky and I did some training with him and he was saying, you know, you can have two women, they both labour for the same time. They both have a water birth. They both, you know, from the outside seem to have had a very similar experience. And then afterwards, one of them says, that was the most traumatic day of my life. And the other one says, that was the most empowering experience of my life. I could do it again tomorrow. And I suppose there's something about us not putting... I guess maybe as birthing professionals as well, like midwives, doulas, doctors, like putting an experience onto somebody because I guess, you know, they experience what they experience in the day. But I think you're so right by what you said. And I I think it's almost like quite cute, like that it's called induction club. I think I quite like that. But I think there's something about, there is a mindset that comes from knowledge, which just sets a certain level of expectation for yourself in my mind I was like this could be the only child I ever have Mm. could be I'm 38 now you know as everyone tells me my Mm. biological clock is ticking away and it could be my only child so I I want to Mm. soak up every minute because Mm. what in a flash it'll be gone and it was it was it was it it was even now it's sort of I, I have vague memories of, of things and you forget the bad stuff and all that sort of stuff and I was desperate yeah. to sort of to take it all in like a sponge oh, I was amazing. fully yeah. hyper aware that like this was yeah. going on and I was mm. so excited by the process and I was offered actually as well uh, for the induction to have a private room mm. and I chose not to I wanted to stay on the ward mm. um and we were the only people on the ward of six to have our curtains open like all the time apart from obviously exams <laughs> but we kept our curtains yeah. open because I and we were the middle bay because yeah. I really was like we are in this together Hans like we are oh, all going to give that. birth and there was also a part of me if I'm not mm. gonna lie that was like nosy AF like <laughs> I wanted to see who was coming in where she was what was happening one woman came in 20 minutes she was there and she was french and all i heard from the next day was i go pee pee i go pee pee and the, the midwife was like if you're not pee he's irish you're not pee peeing your, your water's broke it's okay she was like the baby come the baby come. he's like can you feel the baby she was like yes and he literally was like let me have a look looked and was like oh jesus rushed her into a gurney rushed her out of the room 10 minutes later came back and was like yeah she gave birth 20 minutes she was in oh. and done and there was another woman across the road that was just bless her was just being sick for oh, 12 yeah. solid hours and yeah. it was just such a shame because she was really struggling oh, and it was just horrendous. that like but it was like it was we were all the camaraderie mm. of being mm. together i i didn't want to be i, I and initially i was like oh i don't know if i want to be on a labor ward with all mm. these strangers but actually the isolation of being in a room by yourself with just you and the baby mm. would have been worse for my mental health like at least for the induct like we laughed we joked mm. and I tried to make it fun and we had a really good time <laughs> and when he arrived when you finally got to meet this gorgeous boy after all of this time can you describe how that felt for you I felt I mean I felt I knew that I loved him 
but I didn't get that rush of okay, overwhelming yeah, what people you know what they say like life changing mm. for me this was about a week before we went into lockdown yeah. so something was happening we were the last lot in the hospital that were allowed a birth partner um and then after us when we were leaving they were like no more that's oh, it so yeah. we were so lucky so I knew there was a uh something in the air this was scary this was different yeah. and so I went home and my birth partner would come round, came around every day for about a week just to help out and then she had bad asthma so she needed to shield yeah. so literally overnight I went from having help to having no one and I just couldn't relax into letting myself get overwhelmed with love Mm-hmm. And so for the first couple of months, I loved him, but I didn't feel the, the euphoricness. Like I was in survival mode. That is very normal for a lot of women. And that is another thing that I always discuss with clients that I'm working with. And I sort of say, you know, how do you think you'll feel the moment you meet your baby? And of course, there's always moments where they're like, you know, completely in love. Like it's going to be magical relief that birth, however it's played out, is over. But we also talk about the fact that there's likely to be quite a bit of adrenaline in the system. There's likely mm-hmm. to be exhaustion from the fact of what your body's just been through. And you're absolutely right. Some women, it takes a few minutes to feel that sort of deep, euphoric, mm-hmm. oxytocin rush of love. Sometimes it takes a few hours. Sometimes it's a few days later when you get home. And sometimes one of my very good friends went through something exactly like you're describing. She realised it was really only two or three months afterwards that she yeah. looked at her daughter and thought, oh my gosh, oh, the connection yeah. suddenly, yeah. you know, the, sort of the beat yeah. of her heart just seemed yeah. to kind of come into place. Yeah, and I and it... it it grows even mm. now every day. Like yeah. even just talking about it, I could get emotional because now I'm there. Yeah. Um, yeah, for the first couple of months, I I, I didn't let myself get carried away. Mm. I, I It was just me, 24 hours a day. Mm. You know, there was no respite. Every two hours he was feeding, uh, it was all on me. The cooking, the cleaning, the washing, the feeding, everything. Um, mm. And so, God, yeah, it took it took a while for those love. like real rush to come. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. But it did come. <laughs> yeah, I know it did. And I remember listening again, listening to you talking about sort of looking at his little face. And actually, I think this was in the early days, so it might not be when you sort of had felt that completely develop at that point. Mm. But I remember you saying, "Oh, the little facial expressions that he's pulling were just." I mean, they're just incredible, aren't they? Those little faces that babies make just set your your heart on fire, don't they? Yeah. And you were saying it reminded you of yourself that you make those faces as well. <laughs> and as he's grown, it's only got worse. Yeah. Like the facial expressions are now full pelt. He's got the same furrowed brow. Yeah. So he'll very much, if he doesn't understand, he'll sort of furrow his brow like, eh? What's she saying? What, yeah. What's going on? And then burst out laughing. So yeah, he definitely, unfortunately for him, picked up my facial expressions, I'm sure. How old is he now, Nadia? Seven months. 
between five and ten months don't get me wrong there's like there's joy in in all of it but the five to ten months has always been one of my favorite periods for babies i love how interactive they are they often get to the point obviously they're like trying out food they're sitting up you can sit them on a mat and put some bricks and toys in front of them and they'll be like joyous with it they're hopefully by that stage not always but for a lot of babies there's a little bit more of a rhythm to their sleeping and so that you're a little bit better rested i say i'm not speaking for everyone because i know there are babies that you know takes a bit longer for them to get into it but for me personally i found between five and ten months i could go and do that time and time again because i love that period it's so fun it's so he like he makes me laugh every day because something he's he like you say he's interactive and i was looking actually yesterday at videos of him and it's so weird how like newborns they're just so vacant aren't they there's just nothing much happening yeah um they're great and it's fab and he was teeny tiny mm. but now I'm like oh I wouldn't change that for this because he's just <laughs> he's such a character I remember one of my friends referring to um their babies each time in those early stages where they sort of just really feed poo and sleep and they they used to call her the little roast beef they're just like <laughs> she's just like a little roast beef she just kind of doesn't do a whole lot although those little faces that they do do make up for the fact that obviously in those early days it kind of is quite repetitive what's going on now moving forward to obviously this bit now what would you say is the best the best part of your motherhood experience like at the moment where you are Oh, I think he is old enough and I'm kind of, we're a good team. Mm. I mean, I feel more confident than I've ever felt being his mum because seven months down the line, yeah. this is where we're at. So I, I definitely feel, you know, we've got our groove and oh, things lovely. are things are going well. And just, you know, the, I love the amount of time that we get to spend together I I love waking up and, you know, jumping out of bed and he'll be in his cot and sometimes he'll be crying and other times he'll just be chatting away to himself Mm. and I'll walk in and he'll just be there, just, just staring up to the world, just chatting away to himself. Every morning I'm like, oh, my heart. And it's just great. Like you can see he's starting to get a real personality. So (laughs) I'm getting a lot more back and that in itself is so, so much fun. Yeah. Oh, lovely. One of your podcasts that I listened to that really made me a bit sad was you were talking about your mum-to-be guilt, which not many people talk about, actually. We often talk about mum guilt, but, you know, mummy-to-be guilt. And I have loads of clients who have the same thing. They're constantly beating themselves up about not doing the same as somebody else. What would you say to a mum who's doing that to themselves? Because you moved past that, didn't you? And you kind of had a word with yourself and managed to kind of let that guilt go. What would you say? Top tips for moving past the guilt? Have a word with yourself and just, (laughs) you know, you're, you, you, again, for some reason, and I don't know why, but in the Western world, there's a societal pressure to have the best, be the best and do the best. Mm. And Mm -hmm. when it comes to babies, that's heightened. Mm. One of my friends went to the baby show, which is fabulous and I highly recommend it. I I found it really informative, but she went and spent three grand pregnant. Oh my goodness, yeah. Mm. And she used less than 10% of the stuff Mm. that she bought. Um, I think she's bought a baby bouncy chair thing for like 250 quid. Baby was in it 
20 minutes, hated it <laughs> and sold it on eBay for a tenner. Oh. Um, and so I just I just remember at the beginning like reminding myself don't get sucked into the parent mm. trap because mm-hmm. it is it, you know that it is a con there's in the beginning there's very little I think that you need you know the basics obviously but you don't need the fancy bells and whistles and spending three grand on a you know the best rattles and the best don't need any of that you mm. in the beginning you need very little no. and hey guess what I know it doesn't feel like this but when you give birth the shops don't automatically shut (laughs) (laughs) you have to remind yourself that the day after you give birth everything's still open absolutely and usually 24 hours yes so if you if you if you need a dummy you can get one if you need Mm -hmm. milk nappies if you need a chair a car seat you can on Amazon. You can get one delivered the next day. If you need Anusol and Lactulose, it's all available. <laughs> all available. Yes. Everything's there. So yeah, yeah. I just had to keep telling because I I felt I felt my anxiety mm. like when I'd be on Instagram and I'd be looking at baby stuff and I'd be like, oh, I don't have this yeah. and oh, I don't have that and I'd feel my anxiety. I'd be like, whoa, 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 hun, calm yourself yeah. down. You've got the basics. It's a baby. They don't need a lot at the beginning. You're going to plan to try and hopefully breastfeed. So just chill. And so I did. I yeah. really tried to. I, it's just you have to keep telling yourself to chill, chill, mm. chill, mm. chill, chill, chill. And you're right. Actually, at the beginning, they need you. So spend that three grand on you. 100%. Get yourself some nice stuff, you yeah. know, get a massage, get whatever. Definitely you know, get actually a pregnancy spend massage. the money on. Oh, my God. I got a pregnancy yes. massage. I cried. I was like, oh, thank you so much. (laughs) It was amazing. She was like, okay, Han, thanks, bye. (laughs) (laughs) But Nadia, you know Becky is a remedial massage therapist. And she's incredible. I think I messaged you actually saying, get a massage, please, babe. Yeah, and I bought actually one of the best things I did buy was an at-home massager thing from Amazon with heated little things that go round. Oh, lovely. Um, and I don't know if it's controversial because people say, oh, cut massage when you're pregnant. Uh, I don't know. But let no. me tell you something. For me, I used it every single night. And I mean, I, I, it was orgasmic. It was the <laughs> best. I jumped into bed ready to put my heated massager on. And I just sat there and it just would massage my back. And I moved it all over from the top to the bottom and it all got warm. And I was like, yes. yes. Best thing, best thing I bought. That's what you spend the money on. Thinking about um, lovely things that you do for yourself and sort of really looking after yourself well, both mind and body. So it can be the big things, it can be the little things. You know, you talk a lot about being a solo mama and you've got to look out for yourself, girl, haven't you? What are on your absolute must-have sort of lists uh, of when you're feeling a bit depleted and hopefully before you feel depleted, actually, to to fill your tank back up again? During pregnancy or after? Because the only reason I ask... Well, the biggest, for me, the biggest thing that helped my mental health was a bath. Okay. Ah. A bubble bath, not just any old Mm. bath, like a boob, I call it a buble (laughs) bath. So got to have your bubble, you got to have it super duper yeah. hot. That's what I mean. Like I like it super duper duper hot. Loads of bubbles and a bit of buble in the background. Oh, and nice. You, as you get in the water, even if, when I was suffering from my mental health the worst, 
I didn't realize how anxious I was and how Mm. my shoulders were by my ears and everything was tense. My whole body was just tense Mm. because I was suffering from full-blown hyper-anxiety. I would get into the bath and the the heated water would force my muscles to relax, even just like Mm. 10%. And when you're Mm. really, when I was really suffering from bad mental health, that 10% made the world mm. of difference mm. and it was a f- it was something I thought mm-hmm. it was forced on so the fact that I forced my muscles to relax was like I got out the bath and that was oh it was amazing so for me a bath became something really important and when I was pregnant obviously I couldn't have super duper hot baths which was very annoying because that was such a integral part of my day and I remember the first bath I had after I gave birth and I I made it super duper hot and again, I think I cried <laughs> as a theme because I was just like, oh, I'm back, baby. And it was just beautiful. But it was it was just that half an hour. Sometimes it literally would only be half an hour. Getting in the bath, getting the bubbles, the smell. I'd have to have like a eucalyptus-y, lavender-y, spary smell to like, again, relax relax mm. everything down nice music on or if I was in the mood I'd, I'd have to watch something fun so I watched a lot of RuPaul's Drag Race mm. oh brilliant um, and just to switch my yeah. mind off yeah I needed something to just stop just for a minute to stop turn the key just yeah. just stop stop overthinking stop thinking that you're gonna be a bad mum or you're a bad person you're a bad this that doom and gloom yeah. just stop just for a mm. little bit and give yourself permission yeah and then you f- instantly feel better love that absolutely i think it, was, it sounds lovely it sounds like you had a real sort of ritual to it mm-hmm. like you knew exactly the sequence of things that almost kind of initiate this you know shutting down the element exactly. of the overwhelm and sort of just really concentrating on yourself for half an hour and sometimes it just just can take 20 minutes half an hour to yeah. make all the difference and like you said, it's a ritual. So my body knew, so I'd get excited. Mm. So also as well, I'd lay a big towel on my bed because I, I have my bath so hot that I need to like lie down for about 10 minutes before I can actually do anything. <laughs> I do. It's like, honestly, my cheeks are bright red. You slightly pass out, out afterwards. Absolutely. But it's fabulous. I love every minute. And so I put a big towel on my bed. So I'd literally get out the bath, wrap myself up and just go and collapse on the towel and then just spend 10 minutes just chilling while my heart rate comes down and I start like being able to breathe again. But I tell you what, afterwards, oh, I felt like a new woman. Nadia, are you one of those that in the height of summer when everyone's complaining about the heat in the UK, you're one of those that's like, bring it on. I'm loving it. Love it. Love (laughs) it. I like it more with a swimming pool and a cocktail by my hand. Not gonna lie, nice. um, but yeah, I, I yeah, bring it. I'm a, I'm a sun baby. I love the sun. I love the mm. heat. I love not having to wear layers. Mm. Ugh. Talking of heat, you are very well known for being a bit of a <laughs> dating guru. What top tips would you have for a single mama who's about to start, kind of, you know, navigating the dating scene again? Any any top tips for that? I'm I'm an old school dater, so I didn't, I wasn't, I'm not really a fan of the apps, mm-hmm. if I'm honest. Mm. Um, however, we don't have much choice at the moment, do we? Yeah, <laughs> With <true>. sort of different <laughs> local lockdowns happening and all that sort of stuff. So 
The apps can work and they do work for some people. My brother met his wife on Tinder. It can oh, happen. Amazing. Unfortunately, though, the statistics are very low. So I think yeah. online dating is a good place to kind of start. But again, it's about expectation. Yeah. You're not going to go on, chat with a guy, meet up with him, have loads of chemistry, yeah. date loads, be your boyfriend, live happily ever after. Like, it's just not going to happen. You have to sift through so much rubbish before you find somebody that will even meet up with you for a coffee. I think it's on average about, you have to send about 100 messages before you actually meet someone up in real life. Wowzers. And as a single mum, that's tiring, right? Because you're already a bit knackered. Mm. (laughs) It's a... Dating on apps is a full-time job. Yeah. Literally, you, you, it's such a, you have to spend hours because you are mm. literally sifting through, you know, the messages of, hey, <laughs> what am I supposed to, what, what? What am I supposed to reply to that? I'm not a horse. Like, what the hell? <laughs> the banter hey? and the communication. And also, like, I can imagine, because to be honest with you, I met my now husband I, I met him when we were at school so it's been like donkey's year so I've like vicariously lived my life through all my friends who've been on the apps and they're just like oh sometimes I just have to come off it because yep. telling my life story over and over and over again just actually bores me sometimes yeah. <laughs> and there is it does I um i coined a term called dating app depression it's a real thing when you open up the app and your heart just sinks because you get another message from another idiot being like hey hun i want to come and netflix and chill and you're just like oh for god's sake where's the real men that want to have a relationship yeah people coming from with these awful lines yeah and so you end up having to delete your apps and that's the first thing i do with my clients when my clients come to me and and have coaching sessions I make them delete all of their dating apps because mm-hmm. it's like a, it's like a it's uh, like a drug addict they hate uh, it but they love it um, mm. and when I make them delete it they're like <gasps> scared and then three days later I'll always get a message being like thank you mm. I cannot tell you I've got my life back mm. <laughs> yeah and I'm like yeah yeah see now we can go out Amazing. and meet real people and you can actually mm. get chemistry and, and meet somebody great But again, that's difficult. So if you're going online, two things. One, please, please, please put a genuine picture of yourself and Mm. even one potentially where you don't think you look that great. Because if you put pictures of you face-tuned, filtered Mm. um, 10 years ago, you're being dishonest with it first of all and when you do hopefully meet up he's gonna look at you and go huh like I would rather I I walk into every date I've ever been on from an app and they always go gosh you're so much better looking in real life than your pictures and I'm like uh-huh uh-huh rather than walking in them going oh she don't look like her pictures oh oh, i don't know about her that's a really good bit of advice i wouldn't have thought to do that actually yeah because you almost you almost think or go for the best one don't you No, because they've got nothing to compare it to so they if you've put on five stone they don't know what you look like beforehand so you know like just if they like you now with your double chin and your yeah you know back fat Trust me, when they see you mm-hmm. with a bit of glam on, looking fabulous, see your personality to go with it, they're going to be blown mm. away. 
So yeah, I'm not saying like put like yeah. ugly pictures on, but just don't <laughs> don't you're you know you really yeah I imagine every man on there is about thirty percent less good looking than his pictures mm-hmm. because people just put on the best. Yeah. Yeah. So put on something real, see what happens. Be prepared to Brilliant. have to sift through a load of rubbish to, mm. before you find someone that's even half genuine. And do not for one second lower your standards mm. because you're online. Yeah, that makes sense. It always comes back to, you know, following your instinct. And we talk about this loads with parenting as well. And you're talking about it out there in obviously different elements and different parts of your life as well. Finally, Nadia, we always ask the same question at the end of our episodes. If you could add a note to pop inside a mother box, heading out to a brand new mum with your best bit of mum advice on it, what would it be? You are enough. Yes simple (laughs) yeah it just it is because you are and for me the biggest again like the mum guilt was basically always came Mm. down to me feeling insecure could I do it was I ready could I cope with it could I handle the pain of labor like could I do it and I Mm. and yeah I just had to keep telling myself like I am enough I am enough I am enough and by actually saying the words to yourself yeah. You you force the bad voices yeah. away. It's mm. three simple words that can change the whole way that you think about yourself, which is mm-hmm. you know, where oh, it's at. Lovely. If you think you can do something, by golly, you can do it. I love that. Oh, thank you so much, Nadia. It's been, so, I could literally have talked to you for hours and hours. <laughs> like, I'm like, I've got more it. to say. <laughs> We're storytellers as well. We love, love, love Anatta. And actually having you on the show today has been absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us, darling. Thanks once again to the gorgeous Nadia for joining us today and sharing her birth story and postnatal experience with us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to know more about the work that we do, look out for our books, The Little Book of Self-Care for New Mums and The Little Book of Self-Care for Mums-to-be, where we will talk further about birth, parenthood, relationships and much more. Join us again next week for more chats with another amazing guest. Do let us know what you thought over on Instagram and please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. See you next time on Notes from the Mother Box. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.